know that. There's no way you could outdo that one. Um, but tonight, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, godly advice for the holidays, part three. And I was thinking that, you know, next week is our big Christmas service in the morning, so there's no PM service. And the week after that is uh, Christmas Day, so there's no PM service. And the week after that will be our New Year's Day. So this, this is our last Sunday night, I believe, of, the, of 2016. So we want to make it a really good one, right? Yeah. <laughs> we want to make it a good one. And uh, tonight the title is this, Godly Advice for the Holidays Part 3, Tell the Real Christmas Story. And, you know, every, each week for the last couple of weeks, you know, we've just been given kind of little tidbits of advice for the holidays. And as I was thinking about it, uh, you know, it is so important. Some of the best advice that we could give out is teaching each other to tell our children, to tell the people around us the real story of Christmas. You know, I, I mean, that sounds like kind of, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's, it's a really really big deal that at this time of the year, no matter how old your children are, you may have little guys like I do, or you may have older kids, teenagers, even college age. I don't know, but it's really important. And, you know, maybe even you're like, well, I don't really even have any kids right now. Well, you've got people you influence. I know some of you adult men in here, you kind of mentor some of the younger guys. That's a big deal. You've got nieces and nephews and all that. But it is really, really important that we are teaching the true, the true Christmas story and not just that, the Word of God. And so I, I was watching Little House on the Prairie the other day, as I, as I do. And, uh, you know, I get a lot of uh, parenting advice from Charles Ingalls. And so I'm watching and, and it's about it's this Christmas episode where they're all, you know, Ma and Pa and, you know, little, little Laura there. They're trying to figure out how, what they're going to do to get, get Christmas gifts that year because times were tough. You remember the 1870s. It was really tough. Uh, yeah, some of you. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to say anything, but, but, uh, but no. And so, so they're like, they're talking about all these gifts and stuff. And then old Charles Ingalls, he sits the kiddos down and tells them, you know, I'm, you know, this is almost mind blowing to us in this generation, but some of you probably remember 34 years ago or whatever on national primetime TV. He tells, tells the Christmas story about how God loved the world so much. He sent his only son, Jesus to save us from our sins. And I'm like, man, that was really, really good. I know that used to be primetime television. And you know, now you turn it on, you're like, Whoa. So you don't want to watch that stuff. But anyway, so he dropped this and I'm like, yeah, man, we need to be teaching these kids. We need to be teaching the people around us. The true story of Christmas, because a lot of people, you know, they may be like, well, yeah, it's the birth of Jesus. And you should know more about it than that. That's good that you know that. But there is more to the Christmas story than just the fact that Jesus, you know, the Christian leader was born on this day that we celebrate. This is a deep, deep and powerful story on so many levels. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. And so if you're here and you're like, well, I don't have little kids. Listen, you influence somebody. I'm talking about somebody that you have influence into their life. We need to be spreading the word of God. Amen. And so I want to, I want to pray here real quick. And then I want to get into this message. There's some really great stuff we're going to see tonight. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, that we have a great church to worship you in and, and to learn about you, God. We have, we have a great church that we, we teach the Bible. We study the Holy Scriptures. And God, I pray tonight that as we open up the Word of God, that you'll speak to each person here. Lord, you'll show us things that, man, help us learn things for us and help us learn things for others that we can take to them, God, because we're, we're distributors, Lord. This is not just all about us. We need to be spreading what we've learned, and we thank you that we're going to do that tonight, and we give you praise in advance for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. So point number one tonight is this very basic. We must teach our kids the word of God. Okay, I'm not even talking about the Christmas story. yet. I'm talking about the word of God. We must teach our kids, the younger generation, the people around you, the word of God. And I want to show you something here in Deuteronomy chapter six. So we're going to flip way back to the Old Testament here. Deuteronomy chapter six. And this is how uh, Moses was telling the people to 
kind of, you know, raise their kids and how to teach them the ways of God. And I've heard Tony Cook talk before about, you know, there's a difference between the, the Greek method of teaching and the Hebrew method of teaching. The New Testament, obviously, you know, is written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. And in America, we kind of follow the more uh, Greek method of, of education where, you know, you all sit down at a classroom and then someone comes and lectures you and tells you facts and figures and stuff like that. And that's great. But the Hebrew method of teaching was much more of a non-stop hands-on thing you know you'd go and maybe live with a you know a mentor or a teacher for a while and and they just it was it wasn't just you know you do your six hours a day of lecture and then you go home it was a hands-on speaking into your life teaching you daily all the time education and so deuteronomy chapter six and uh, this is Moses teaching them uh, what they're supposed to do but deuteronomy chapter six verses six through nine And it says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. And here's what I want to get at. Verse 7. Look, here's how it tells you to teach your kids. It says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so he's saying, this, he's talking about the word of God here, the teachings of God. He says, I mean, this, this sounds like a really big deal. He says, don't, you know, don't just on Sundays, every day, man, as you're, as you're on the road, be talking to your kids about the word of God. Just be planting little seeds, throwing out some stuff. When you're at home, be talking about the word of God. When you're going to bed. When you're getting up, when you're on your way to to school and everything, just be talking about the Word of God. And I'm telling you, this is how you get the Word of God into your kids. It's it's so great to have them at church all the time. Obviously, that's key. But the times that you take, when you take your time with your kids... Planting these little seeds and teaching them. And I'm not, you know, you don't have to get out a, you know, a six-course expository outline. All right, kids, we're learning the Levitical law today, starting in, you know, Leviticus chapter 1. Get ready. We're going to memorize the priesthood. You know, that, that, that's fine. But they're not going to remember a lot of that. But if you just start, you know, on the way to school talking about, kids, what do you think it means to reap what you sow? You know, Galatians 6. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. All right. You know, hey, buddy, let, let's talk about 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And if you start doing this stuff, this is teaching your kids the word of God and just in five-minute segments at a time. And I like something that Willie George uh, talked about pastor willie george he said that he would make up little bible quiz games uh and you know bible question games that he would play with his kids on the way to school he said they had a little drive to school and so he would just he would pull out you know he had a list of bible questions he'd he'd ask them and make a game out of it on the way to school and he said each question wasn't worth one point that's too boring each question was worth like a million points and so by the time you get to school you know this guy over here has 12 million points wow and and the kids loved it they got in to it and they learned the word of God in a really really fun way and so I'm just saying the, the Bible admonishes us right here that you're responsible for teaching the kids the word of God and again you know don't say well mine are all old now or they're teenagers or you know yours are little so no that doesn't matter their age just start teaching the word of God Do you realize how healthy it is to discuss God's word with your kids Man, that is so powerful. This, and the Word of God, it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So, you don't, I mean, talking to your kids about the Word of God and discussing it, it's what the Bible tells you to do. And so, next time you're on your way to the store or on your way to, to somewhere with the kids, spend a few minutes talking about some scriptures, man. I'm not saying, you know, again, pull out a big old outline and we're going to discuss all this. The, no, just talk about some Bible scriptures that you've already thought of in advance and discuss that with them. This is teaching your kids the way of God. And, you know, I, I, I'm trying my best to do this. Uh, every morning at the breakfast table, we we read some scriptures. We've been studying the Christmas story the last few weeks. And, you know, they're, they're so young, you know, that, again, I'm not bombarding them with stuff they can't possibly remember or comprehend. We'll throw a few verses in there and talk about the shepherds. We'll talk about the wise men for a few minutes. And they're getting it. And it's incredible to watch that they're actually getting it. And one thing that 
adults, we, we, we tend to think of kids as, well, you know, they can't possibly comprehend that much. This stuff's too deep for them. So let's go to church. We'll put them, you know, with the babysitters and the real people can go in here and we can learn about God, us real people. They're real people. They're, they're, they're real. And they get this stuff. They comprehend it. And a kid that's been taught the word of God throughout their growing up years, oh my gosh, it's incredible. The, 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 the advantage that you have, you know, we talk about, you know, privileged people in this day and age. If you want your kids to be privileged, teach them the word of God at home as they're growing up. They will have a monumental advantage. And I mean, I, I'm, I guess I don't know I'm bragging here, but I had a great advantage, a huge advantage that my parents took the time to teach me the word of God. There's a lot of scriptures that I know because, you know, my dad had little songs about him. I think he learned them, you know, about his church or whatever when he first got saved. But there's all these verses that I have memorized from these little songs. And, it, you know, so I'll be sitting there and, you know, First uh, John 4, 7, 8, Beloved, let us love one another. And my, my dad used to sing these little songs. And, you know, and it, it got the word of God into me. I, before I, I've got verses memorized from before the, way before I could ever read. Way before I could ever read, I just heard these songs my dad sang and, and my, my mom. And, and I just know these scriptures because they got it into me. And so that's another great thing you could do, you know, to, to just talk about this just for another second. Is, you know, sing some verses. Make up a little tune to the verse. You're like, that sounds silly. It's not silly when your kid's an amazing adult. When your kid's rocking it and on fire for God and, you know, the rest of them have gone off to be little dopies and your kid's doing amazing and, you know, serving God. It's not so silly then. It's incredible. And so think about it this way. You know, um, it, it, I, I heard Willie George say this too. The other day. I saw, I'll just throw this out there. He gets the credit for coming up with this. But think about, um, you know, how many, how many songs that you guys have memorized, you know, from maybe when you were a teenager, we, maybe you listen to classic rock, you listen to hip hop or something, but there's a lot of these songs that maybe you haven't heard them in 20 years, but if it came on the radio right now, you'd just start singing word for word and you'd be right in there. And then think back to like your high school history class where somebody just lectured you on, you know, the, the, the rebuilding movement of the 1870s right after the Civil War. I mean, you don't know a lot about that, even though somebody talked about it a whole bunch. Why is it that you have these songs memorized? Because you sang along with them. You spoke them and you said the words to them all the time. And so when you're speaking scriptures or singing them or whatever, the best way to memorize something is to hear it coming out of your own mouth. And so when you get something like this going with your kids, they're going to memorize scripture like crazy. And again, if you think that sounds silly, then I mean, I feel sorry for you because you're, you're, you're not getting it. You want your kids to know this stuff. I want my kids to know and memorize and have the word of God hidden in their hearts. Just like King David said, he said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when they're 18 or 19 and first fresh off on their own, if the word of God is hidden in their heart and they are presented with a tempting situation amongst their peers and the word of God's in their heart, it's going to be a whole lot easier for them to say no to pressure if the word of God's in there. But, you know, if you never took the time to put it in there, then they don't have that advantage. So it's a serious advantage to our kids when we do this for them. And so we got to teach them the word of God. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Let's flip there. Proverbs 22, verse 6. And, you know, I, I just think each parent should take on the responsibility for you be their Bible teacher. You may think, well, I'm, I'm not qualified to, to talk about that. Well, there's a lot of things that you probably talk about that you're not qualified to talk about. I, I mean... I sit there and watch football and I give advice to NFL quarterbacks and I'm like, what? You know, I'm not qualified to tell, you know, uh, Andrew Luck or something how to throw a football. That's stupid, but I do it anyway. I watch basketball and I yell at, you know, Blake Griffin or something. I mean, he, he could kill me and all this stuff, but I, I'm giving him advice. So listen, you're qualified to talk to your kids about the Bible. You're not, you're not qualified to, you know, tell them how to play sport, uh, a professional athlete how to play sports, even though you do it. Uh, but you are qualified to talk to your kids about the Bible. You don't have to have a theology degree to do this. Just talk about it. So Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now, that's a promise from God that I want right there. And I, I pray this over my kids every day that they will serve the Lord every day of their lives. That they will not for one time wander away from God and have to come back. And, you know, praise God for those that have wandered and come back. But my prayer is that they won't have to go through that. That they will serve God every day of their lives. That they won't wander and have to come back. That they'll marry the right person the first time. You know, I'm just telling you stuff that I pray for my children. And a lot of times people bring their kids up to me for prayer at the altar line here and stuff. And I just pray the stuff that I pray over my kids. And sometimes people are like, man, wow, where'd you, well, that's deep. And I mean, it's just something that I can relate to. I've got little guys now and I want to see them serve the Lord. And so teach them the Bible, train them up in the way they should go. There's so many scriptures on this. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And, and, and again, if you're like, well, they're, they're this old now, it doesn't matter. It's better late than never. Start getting the word of God in there. And so be your, your children's Bible teacher. And if they're little guys, get, get you a, a children's Bible. You could go on Amazon right now and get a children's Bible for like $3. Okay, I, I buy Bibles for people all the time on, you know, it's because I, I, it surprises me how many people I know that even go to this church that do not have a Bible. So I'm like, well, we're going to get you one, you know, and, and so, man, go on there, get a children's Bible. You can read the story of David and Goliath. Talk about that. Uh, you can read the story of Elisha and the bears. Kids love that story. It's incredible. Who knows the story of Elisha and the bears? <clears throat> okay, it's, it's really cute. Uh, these kids were making fun of the prophet, and he called a bear out of the wilderness, and it mauled 42 children. It's, I, the kids love that story. Just read the, truth, it's, it's in there. It's in there. Yeah, so Elisha's walking down the road, and he, Elisha had a problem that many people suffer from, male pattern baldness. And so he's going bald. And these kids, man, this is true. I mean, I can find it for you right here. Don't turn there, but I'll give you the, the reference. And, uh, and so he's walking down the road, and these kids, they come up, and they start making fun of him. They call him the bald guy. They're like, go away, baldy. Go away, baldy. And so, uh, and so Elisha, it says, curse him in the name of God. And these bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 children. It's an incredible story. Kids love it, especially. One time I was preaching at Starbucks. I used to do a Bible study at Starbucks. And you're like... Yeah, I seriously did. And some of you went, I mean, we would pack out. I had to go to the one in Linwood because it's bigger. And I mean, I have like 30 young adults in there just preaching fire down from heaven sometimes. It was, it was so crazy. But one time, I don't know why I decided to read this story in public, but I did. And, and so I get to the part where it says, and two she-bears came out of the wilderness and mauled 42 children. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in that place. It was, that is not, you know, one of those stories that, I mean, you're not going to put that verse on your refrigerator, you know, (laughs) cross-stitch that on a pillow, but, uh, well, it's in, it's in 2 Kings, I believe, and, you know, I don't want to waste too much time on this. All right, yeah, we'll talk about that later. So, anyway, get you a children's Bible, and, and, and relate to them on their level, not only is it your duty, you are giving them an absolute advantage in their lives, okay? And so, let's talk a little bit now, number two. You know, we got to teach our kids the Word of God, number one. But number two, we must teach them the real Christmas story. They need to know more than just that baby Jesus, you know, that this is when Jesus was born. That's great if they know that. But there's so much more that can be an advantage to their spiritual growth in their life. And so we, we have taught our kids the real Christmas story. And we were at, I was at the 99 cent store just a couple days ago. And I'm in line. And, you know, when you've got kids, people talk to you. They just do. And so I'm in line getting ready to, to, to buy whatever it was I was there for. And so there's a guy in front of me and a guy behind me. And the guy in front of me is kind of older. And so he turns around to the kids, you know. And I'm like, well, here we go. It's going to be whatever he's going to say. And so he's like, you kids ready for Santa Claus? And you know, I'm not against that, but I've just, we've taught our kids that your presents don't come from Santa Claus. And so you guys know my little Ellie. Ellie is like, you know, she's ready to conquer the world. And so she's like, we don't believe in Santa Claus. Our gifts come from our parents. And, and so she just, and then she goes into a very long discourse and very intelligent explanation of why we don't believe in Santa Claus. She's like, Santa Claus, he isn't real. Now, there was a man named St. Nicholas many years ago, and he did bless the children in Europe with presents. And I think mean, just very intelligent. And 
everyone stops and is just listening to this whole thing. And she's going on and on. I mean, I was getting ready to take notes. I'm like, man, this is, wow, this is good, Ellie. And, and people were just shocked. And so by the end, she's like, we believe in Jesus. This is the time of year that he was born. We celebrate Jesus, the Savior of the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm not making, I'm making, none of what I just said was made up. And so as we're walking out, there's a, there's a, a young guy behind us in line, and he comes up with a lollipop. He bought her a lollipop. Like, that was beautiful. <laughs> and so, and the boys were jealous because they didn't get one, but it's okay. So, but I mean, it was a very, very good thing. And I'm like, man, she, and she, she learned all of that from, you know, from church and, fr- and from us telling that stuff to her. And it was all extremely accurate, everything she said. But, uh, but she's, She's been learning the real Christmas story, and she really knows it. And so, you know, again, I'm not telling people how to parent, and they say, that's, that's fine. Whatever people want to do, that's, that's fine. But just for us, we've chosen to not go that route. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I, I kind of put it this way. Um, nothing against Santa. I don't really care if people talk to the kids about him. But one day they'll obviously find out the truth of that, that situation, right? They'll find out. And if they know the real Christmas story of what really happened in Bethlehem that night, if they really know that's the true meaning, then they're not going to have doubts about, well, th- you know, this was a fairy tale. I wonder if the whole baby Jesus, you know, shepherds and angels appearing, if that was a fairy tale too. I guess it's all just made up. No, if they've got a foundation of what the truth really is, that's going to stick with them their whole life. And so a few questions, and maybe you, you could take notes on this to, you know, f- for the people you talk to. But why did Jesus have to come to earth? Now, that's a good question. Why did Jesus have to come to earth? Why? Couldn't he have just done what he needed to do from up there? Couldn't, couldn't he have just, uh, you know, made something happen or sent somebody else? Why did Jesus have to come to earth? The very best, absolute, magnificent explanation I have ever found about this. And I've been, I talk to the youth group about this all the time. So some of them, they, they are familiar with the verses I'm getting ready to show you. But I stumbled across these couple of verses about, I don't know, a year or two ago. And I read this, and I mean, my jaw dropped. And I about dropped my Bible on my lap. I was like, man, I mean, it's the Word of God, but that is so perfectly put and explained. This is like, sh- shocked me, man. This is perfect. These verses I'm getting ready to show you are amazing. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. So if somebody ever asks you, well, why did Jesus have to come to earth? You should know these verses. These are the exact and perfect answer to this question. Why did Jesus have to come to earth? Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I love these verses. These are incredible verses. Hebrews 2. Verses 14 and 15. And so the question, why did Jesus have to come to earth? Well, here's why. Verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Why? For only as a human being could he die. If Jesus was a spirit, he couldn't die. Okay, do you comprehend that? That if Jesus had just stayed in heaven, you, you can't die in heaven. If you're a spirit, a spirit can't die. And so, why did Jesus come to earth? Well, to become a human so he could die. He had to die, and he couldn't die if he was in heaven or if he was a spirit. Okay, let's keep going. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. The devil had the power of death. Jesus had to die so he could go take care of business and, 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 and get the, break the power of death. That's why Jesus had to die. And verse 15, and only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. To me, that is so beautiful. That explains why Jesus came to earth. He came to earth so he could die. He couldn't die if he was in heaven. And to break the power of death, he had to partake of death himself. Does that make sense? And only by dying could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. There are so many people that are afraid of dying. But as Christians, you know, none of us, you know, we're not looking to die right now. But we don't have to be afraid of dying. 
We don't, death does not have to hold any fear for us. Why? Because, listen, we're going to heaven. Man, there's no fear in heaven. And I've, I've heard it said that, you know, you can't threaten a Christian with death. You think death scares me? No, absolutely not. Heaven, I, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to heaven. And not just that, my family's going to heaven. I've got people in heaven already waiting for me. You can't threaten a Christian with, with uh, the fear of dying. You're crazy, man. We, we're going to heaven. And if Jesus hadn't come to earth, though... This would be a whole different ballgame, man. Every time you sin, you'd have to be bringing in some turtle doves to the priest. Okay, man, I told a lie this week. Can you sacrifice these doves for me and make amends with God? Oh, I did a big one this week. I, you know, I, I lusted after. Can you take this goat and sacrifice? And I mean, that's what you had to do. You had to keep shedding blood for all of your sins. And then you didn't talk to God. Somebody did it for you. You had to go to the priest. Hey, can you put in a word with God for me this week? Isn't it great that you can personally talk to God any time of the day, you can do that because of Jesus. You can go to the Father in the name of Jesus. Jesus made that possible. He's the mediator between God and man. Before, you had absolutely no right or, or, or uh, uh, reason to be able to go talk to God yourself. But listen, Jesus made the way. That's why Jesus came to earth, because he made the way for us to not have to be afraid of dying and for us to have an open door to talk to God. We can get right in the presence of God right now. You can, you can repent of your own sins and, and, and Jesus will forgive them. He'll bring forgiveness to you if you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive. Man, it's incredible the things that Jesus accomplished by coming to this earth. And so that's why Jesus came to earth. And so we're going to take a few minutes here and talk about the Christmas story now. And so this is great. I encourage you, you know, take a few notes on this because you want to talk to your kids about this, even if they're little guys, even if they're little ones. You want them to know the Christmas story. And so the first place that you want to look for this is in Luke chapter 1. Okay, Luke chapter 1. And you're learning for others tonight, but you're also learning for yourself. You'll probably see some things or find out some things that maybe you didn't know. But Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 26. And so if you're looking at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, you'll see that there's a lady named Elizabeth uh, and her husband Zechariah. They, they uh, become pregnant and they're going to have a little boy who's going to be called John the Baptist. Now Elizabeth is a relative of Mary, uh, so Jesus Christ and John the Baptist are cousins. They're, they're related and they're very, very close growing up. They, John was kind of the first one to understand who Jesus really was. And so John and, and Jesus had this connection and that went into their adult years. But, uh, but when you get to the, a little bit later into Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, let's look at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. And so Nazareth, just a little town, a place called Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And so as we read this, there's lots of Bible prophecy that's just being fulfilled right here. But Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. You know, that, that would be confusing and disturbing. I mean, you're, you're just sitting there minding your own business, and an angel appears, Gabriel, okay? And so, you know, Gabriel, again, he's not a, a chubby baby playing a harp on a cloud. Gabriel's like the real deal, like big old warrior angel. He appears uh, and says, greetings, the Lord is with you, favored woman. And so she's confused. She's disturbed. She's a little bit scared right now. She doesn't know what to think. And so the angel's getting ready to explain some absolutely earth-changing things to her. This is huge. So he says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby 
to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. There is a lot wrapped into those verses that we just read. First of all, you know, David, uh, it's, it's prophesied that the Messiah will be a descendant come out of the household of David, of King David. And so you look at this, Jesus right here comes out of the line of David, the lineage of David, because Joseph, his stepfather, was a descendant of David. Okay, He was in that tribe, Judah. And then Mary herself is also a descendant of David. And so he's coming out of the tribe of Judah, out of the lineage of King David. And it's incredible that right here, Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. And this, you know, confuses, again, a lot of people because the priest, you know, not to get too crazy on you, you go back to the Old Testament, the 12 tribes, the priest came out of the tribe of Levi, Aaron's family, the Levitical. You know, that, that's where all the priests came out of. But Jesus, he didn't come out of the tribe of Levi. He came out of the tribe of Judah. And Isaiah the prophet, uh, you know, prophesied this. But here he is, Jesus being a descendant of King David. And so throughout the, throughout the Gospels, people would call him son of David. And, you know, sometimes people are confused about well, why, why they call him son of David when Mary and Joseph. Well, they're saying, you know, he's a son of David. He's a descendant of David. And that is Bible prophecy being fulfilled. So Jesus, yes, son of David. And, um, and so uh, the, the next question is this. And I talked to the youth group about this Wednesday night. Why did Jesus have to be born to a virgin? Why? And again, that's a miracle in itself. You know, you tell people that these are, well, that's impossible. Duh. Of course it's impossible. <laughs> yes, absolutely. When, for something miraculous to happen, that means it breaks the laws of science and nature. So it's impossible. Yes, it's impossible to have a, a baby without a, a man and a woman. And, you know, you can fill in the blanks from there. But, you know, as, other than that, it's, it's, it's impossible. But why did Jesus have to be born to a virgin? Why? Well, the question, the, and the answer is this. Adam, way, going way back again to the Old Testament, Adam sinned. He sinned. He broke the laws of God. And ever since then, we've been passing down sin through, you know, to our children. Generation after generation, fathers are passing down the sin nature to their children. You know, don't feel bad. You know, it happens to all of us. We're born into that. And so Jesus, though, obviously did not have the DNA of a paternal, you know, earthly father. He didn't have paternal natural DNA, he had the DNA of God Almighty. You know, he had Mary here, but, you know, I, my Bible school teachers taught me that uh, the sin, it's not passed down through the mother's genes, it comes down through the father's genes, and, and David didn't have a father's genes of a natural dad. He had the DNA, the genes of Almighty God that says the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, Mary. And so right here, they get the, that whole thing out of the picture, and because of this, Jesus is born, and he's able to live a perfect life and to never sin. Nobody else could possibly do this. But Jesus, because of this, was able to live a pure, clean, spotless, sinless life. Because if Jesus had a natural DNA in him and, and was a sinner, he wouldn't have been worthy to save all of us. He would have just been, you know, just like the rest of us, you know, maybe done some great things and had a calling on his life. But... He would not have been qualified if he had been a sinner. It took pure, sinless, spotless blood to be shed to pay the price for the sins of all mankind. So Jesus had to be born to a virgin. And God picked this young, young girl named Mary to, to be that virgin. So let's look at chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 7. So there's a lot to the Christmas story. It, it's, you know, it, it's, and it's deep and it's powerful. But... Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So we're going to get to the actual you know, story of the night of Christmas here. And here's what a lot of people are familiar with. Verse 1, it says, At that time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so just like nowadays, we have a census every 10 years, right? They come and, you know, you've got to give them all this information about you. They're counting how many people, you know, are the population and this stuff. They did it back then. But back then, 
you had to go back to your ancestral town. You didn't, they didn't come to you or, you know, you had to go back. And so verse three, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiance, who is now obviously pregnant. And so she's very pregnant at this point in time. You know, she's, she's showing, and I mean, it doesn't say exactly how far along she is, but we know Jesus was born here in Bethlehem, so she's probably about nine months along. And the trip from uh, Nazareth down to Bethlehem, you can look on a map, it's about, Bethlehem's about 80 miles directly south of Nazareth. And so, can you imagine, ladies, being nine months pregnant, your man loading you up on top of a donkey, Going through the desert for about 80, 90 miles. It's cold. It's nasty. I mean, you're, you know, bouncing around. And I mean, you're this pregnant. How miserable would that be? I almost feel as bad for the dad, though, because she had to be cranky at that point in time. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, gosh. And so this is just a crazy situation. And on top of that, if you've ever been around a donkey, they're extremely annoying. Now, it doesn't say they were on a donkey, but I'm assuming, you know, since that was the main travel of transportation, it was probably a donkey, and they're really annoying and loud and obnoxious, but God, if it, even worse is if it was a camel, because they're ten times more annoying than a donkey. Camels are horrific creatures, very annoying and rude, spit, on, spit in your face, very bad. And so, um, and so anyway, they're, they're traveling, you know, about 80 miles south, going down through the desert, she's nine months pregnant. And this has just got to be a very miserable experience. And, you know, most scholars believe she, for her to be engaged and all this stuff, she was, she was a teenage girl, no doubt. Maybe as young as 13, but probably around 15 years old is what we're looking at here. And Joseph maybe slightly older, but basically two teenage kids. And they're going through all of this. This is, you know, it's just, what a story. You know, and so uh, and so they're going down uh, to to Bethlehem, verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. So they went straight to the local hospital, got an epidural. And no, 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 that's not in there. No, no, that didn't happen. Verse seven. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And so, you know, you know the story, man. The Savior of the world was born in a barn. Didn't have a crib. They laid him in a feeding trough for cows and, and goats and, and donkeys. And can you imagine that? You know, here we are, the most important person in the history of the world. He wasn't born in a palace or into riches and wealth. He was born on a cold night out there in a, you know, a little town in a barn. And they, they wrapped him up in, in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger. Wow, what a story. And that's just the thing about Jesus is that he's never taken the easy way to save us. He didn't enter this world the easy way and he didn't die the easy way. He died the worst way possible. But that shows us how much God loves us and how, how much Jesus put in to getting to us to love us. You know, they could have, God could have said, we're going to have you be born to, you know, King so-and-so and the palace over there in, in Jerusalem and, and this and this and this, and you'll be raised. And, but no, he brought him through ordinary people, you know, a, a holy young girl and all this stuff. And Jesus was born this way and very humble, very simple, very non-traditional, just very rough beginnings because he loves us. And he didn't take the easy way. He, he seemed to always take the harder way. And, and this is how our Savior was born. And I can just imagine, you know, can you imagine what that night? You know, I, I just try to um, think about what it would have been like as Jesus, the Savior of the world, the, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, entered this world. You know, can you imagine the, the angels and the anointing and the, just the, the little Jesus, little baby Jesus had to have the, just the peace of God on him from day one, a perfect little baby. Can you imagine how incredible this would have been to, to be right there, even as a, a newborn baby, he is the son of God. He's the anointed one. 
He's the Almighty. He's the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, right here as a little baby. Oh, my goodness. It would have been incredible to see. And, and so this, that's what happened on this night. And I want to talk about next, you know, some other people that got to be there that night. And that's the shepherds. You know, we, we talk about all the time we, you know, in our traditional Christmas plays, we got our three shepherds. They come out, little kids in bathrobes, you know, holding little staffs. And, and it's, it's adorable and it's cute. But there were really shepherds that night. And so let's look at the shepherds, verse 8, Luke 2, verse 8. And so that night, that very night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly... An angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. So you see a track record here? Every time the angel shows up, people are all, ah, what is it? They're terrified. Well, you know, first of all, when there's the glory of God, it's very, very bright. It's blindingly bright. And so, can you imagine this? You're out in the middle of a field, in the middle of the night. There's, you know, no lights from a city. Uh, you know, we're so used to, we see bright lights all the time. We've, we, we are just, we see all this stuff. But imagine you've never even seen a light bulb, okay? And here you are, <laughs> the middle of the night, and you're, you're in the middle of the field, and out of nowhere, the whole sky lights up like nothing you've ever seen, or like nothing that we've probably ever seen. It's probably brighter than any LED lights we even have right now. But here they are, just out of nowhere, the whole sky lights up. And you're like, what is going on here? Oh, what is this? Oh, you're terrified. You have no idea what's going on. And then you see these men appear in the sky. This is crazy. You've never seen or heard of anything like this. And so here's all these burly shepherds, you know, manly men. And they're terrified. They have no idea what's going on. Then it says, verse 10, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. He's been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in the palace. No, lying in a manger. This is going to be just... This has got to be make things even more weird because even back then you don't put a baby in a manger. You know what I mean? This is even weird for back then. That's not the normal place you put a baby. And so these angels appear and they say, the Messiah has been born out in a barn about two miles that way. He's in a barn and he's laying in a manger wrapped up in little strips of cloth. And they're like, what? And what is going on here? Am I dreaming right now? What? I don't I, I don't get this. But yes. The Messiah has been born. And, you know, these being Jewish people, they've been waiting for years, their whole lives, for the Messiah to finally come. They've been hearing about it forever. And then an angel appears and says, tonight is the night that people have been waiting about forever. You've heard about this every day since you were born. Today is the day. And you're, you're fortunate you get to go see him. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, was born in Bethlehem tonight. He's laying right over there in a manger out in a barn wrapped in strips of cloth. And look at this. And then suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And so we've got right here the shepherds. And then uh, the shepherds that night, they go over there too. Verse 16, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And so the shepherds themselves got to see baby Jesus that night. And can you imagine how that would have impacted your life? You would have, I mean, you would have talked about that and told your kids about it, your grandkids. You would have told everybody this story. This would be the absolute coolest thing that had ever happened to you. I, mean, I would have loved to have seen this. So we've got the shepherds that you hear about in the Christmas play and stuff. But then there's these other guys called the wise men. The wise men. And so let's, let's look at the wise men. For this, we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 2. And I do hope you're taking notes because my goal is for you to actually share some of this with somebody else. And maybe you know all this and that's cool. But I'm just trying to give you, you know, a little bit of an advantage to be able to share some of this with your kids and with other people. But Matthew chapter 2. And, you know, again, I, my, my kids are very familiar with this story. They, I'm sure probably even Ellie could come up here and tell this. But Matthew chapter 2, 
And we'll look at verses 9 through 11. And so the shepherds, they've, they've got to go and see baby Jesus. And then there's these guys called the wise guys. No, the wise men. The wise men. And so uh, verse 9, after this interview, they had talked to King Herod. We won't get into that. Uh, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east sky guided them to Bethlehem. And so they're following this star that's leading them in the direction of Bethlehem. And he, actually, before church tonight, Ellie looked up and she saw a bright star out in the sky. She goes, Daddy, look, it's the Bethlehem star. I'm like, oh, I thought it was cute. But so the star, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we've got the wise men here. And, you know, we always put three wise men in the play because it looks cute, but we don't, it doesn't really tell us how many wise men there were. There could have been two. We know there's more than one. There could have been two. There could have been a hundred. We have no idea. But there was plenty of wise men there. And we also know out of this that the wise men were not actually there the night that Jesus was born. Because uh, you, you read this, it says they went and they saw him in a house. He was in a house at this point in time. And so, uh, so they obviously they weren't there the night that Jesus was born. But hey, it's, it's, again, it's still really adorable to have them in the Christmas play all there, bowing down baby Jesus and giving their, their gifts of gold, Frankenstein and Murph or, you know, whatever. And so the kids, uh, it's, it's adorable. And, and, but this is some more of the Christmas story. And so you've got Jesus, you've got the angels, you've got Mary and Joseph, you've got the shepherds, you've got the wise men, and you've got the reason why Jesus came to the earth. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Well, Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. He came so he could have a body to die in, and by dying, he was able to break the power and the fear of death that's held people as slaves for so long. And so the last thing I'm going to say is this, and uh, my dad just really did this this morning, but hey, we're going to talk about it for just a second, is that we need to be bold and proud to be Christians, okay? <clears throat> I'm talking about teaching your children about the real meaning of Christmas and others, other people that you have influence over. But we need to be bold and we need to be proud about being Christians at this time of year. And again, we've talked about this a lot today, so I'm not going to hit on it too much um, like I had planned, but we all know that very much in the last you know, 10 years or so, we've been told, oh, don't say Merry Christmas, don't say that, it's going to offend people, and blah, 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 blah. And, and, well, we have seen a lot of good things, progress being made, as, as mentioned even earlier today, about uh, people starting to you know, be like, you know what, that's stupid. I, I don't have to say season's greetings, and that's fine, you know, good deal. But you can say Merry Christmas, you can say Happy Birthday, Jesus. You can say Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if it makes people, if they need to go to a safe place and hold themselves and cry, then I'm sorry. You know, our colleges now have safe places for, you know, because everybody gets, this isn't a joke, but our universities, they have safe places for when you get, when somebody hurts your little feelings, you can go and go into your safe place and nobody can say anything that you don't agree with. And that, that is not a joke that's real. And if saying the name of Jesus needs to send you to your safe place because you're so terrified, there's probably only one explanation. You're probably possessed. And <laughs> I'm kidding, but... Not really. Uh, so, but I mean, if the name of Jesus is, is that offensive and terrifying to you, man, wow, you were really just brought up in a very, I mean, strange atmosphere. And, uh, how does a little baby scare you? You know, people, they steal nativities and, you know, I was down at the mall in Long Beach, I think it was last year, they, 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 they had a nativity up and somebody stole baby Jesus. I'm like, baby Jesus, why would you steal baby Jesus? I, man, I hope you're proud of yourself, you stole baby Jesus. Good, good going. Good Lord, man, it's a baby. And, and, and so, you know, but there's just an absolute fear of, of Jesus. And as Christians, we've got to be just absolutely loud and bold i'm not saying being obnoxious you know get the old uh you know bullhorn in their face merry christmas no but i i tell everybody merry christmas jesus loves you and uh you know i, I love this we're we're very blessed right now and privileged that our god's made a way for our kids to go to this christian school you know i don't say that in a bragging way just god helped us out it wouldn't have been possible without god but 
Ellie is, uh, on Friday, their class is actually throwing a birthday party for Jesus. The kid, yeah, I'm so excited. They're throwing a birthday party. It's their last day of school before Christmas break. They're, they're bringing in a birthday cake and candles and all this stuff. They're going to wear little party hats. And the kids, they're throwing a birthday party for Jesus. And I'm like, man, I love that. Isn't that what it's all about? It's Jesus' birthday. And here, we're, can you imagine, you know, it's, it's your birthday party. It's all about you. And like, hey, we all want the cool stuff that's going to happen at the party. We just don't want you there. That's essentially what people have done to Jesus. Yeah, we want to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. We just don't want you to be involved. So if you could just, you know, and we know we'll, we'll drink flavored coffees and we'll, uh, you know, we'll give each other gifts and look at lights and ho, ho, ho. But yeah, we just don't really want you to be involved. And that's, that's what the world has done to Jesus at Christmas time. They love the cool stuff that comes with celebrating Christmas and the gifts and everything. They just don't want him to show up to his own party. Well, listen, he's going to show up at his party and I want him there. And he's invited at my house to his party every day of the year. And I'm not going to be afraid of talking about his name because Jesus saved me. I'd be going to hell. Absolutely. Jesus healed me from cancer. I would have been dead at three years old, no doubt about it. There's a lot of kids that didn't walk out of that hospital. So I'm very thankful that I made it out of that hospital when I was three. Jesus did that. And if there was somebody that had saved your life, which Jesus has. But, you know, even a natural person, if somebody saved your life and pulled you out of the fire, man, you'd be thanking them all the time. You wouldn't be ashamed to say, oh, yeah, that's Bob. He saved my life from the fire. I want to give Bob a lot of credit. He saved my life. Would people say, shut up, don't talk about Bob. He, you know, no, no, that, that offends me. Uh, what are you talking about? Man, I'd be, shut up, man. He's pulled me out of a, did you not hear me? He saved my life. I love this guy. He, I, I'm going to talk about him every day of my life. And that's what Jesus has done for us. So I'll talk about him every day of the year, but especially at Christmas time, I'm going to get really big. And if it, you know, possibly annoying to some people, there's somebody in my neighborhood right now that's uh, very much a, a, an atheist and doesn't like the name of Jesus. And some of the neighbors have been talking about it. So, um, you know, of course, I put up a lot of lights. But I made my own nativity this weekend. I got it up. Oh, I love it. I've got a spotlight on it. It's so great. And so every time this guy drives past, he's going to see baby Jesus lit up in LED. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. And, you know, do I get a little bit of a kick out of Honestly, yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, I just want to celebrate Jesus and make him the reason for the season. And he's the, he's the reason all year long. And so the last verse, we'll just throw it up on the screen there. It's this. Isaiah 9, 6. This is such a beautiful verse. We read it this morning. But prophesied way before Jesus was born. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Jesus is all of those things. He's the Prince of Peace. When Jesus comes in to our lives, he brings peace. You want peace during the Christmas and holiday season? Bring the Prince of Peace in. Yeah, bring the Prince of Peace in. And, he, and that's what he does. So my, we'll just bring it all down to this tonight and wrapping up this little three-part series we did here about the holidays. Listen to me. You've got to teach your kids the Word of God. You, have, you need to be their Bible teacher. Even if you don't know that many verses, pick one out. Talk to them about it tomorrow and say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. What do you guys think about this? <clears throat> talk to them, and especially right now, start teaching them the Christmas story. Read these verses that, that we talked about tonight. Talk to them about it. This, is a real, this really did happen, and because it happened, we don't have to be afraid now. We get to go to heaven. It's really important that this happened. And so let's make this the best Christmas season ever and let's start training up our children in the way they should go. Proverbs 22, 6. And when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. The best thing that we could possibly hope for and have is kids that turn into adults that serve God with their lives. That's what I want. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up.